0: Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Many years ago, a famous queen visited a wealthy king. She had heard about this king. He was... He had more riches than any other. And he also had skills. He could do many things. He could build incredible buildings. He had great wisdom. In fact, he was a sage. It was reported that his wisdom had no rivals. And this queen thought maybe the stories were a little exaggerated, and so she visited Jerusalem to see for herself. So we're in 1 Kings, quickly chapter 10, verse 4 through 7. Hold your spot there in Ecclesiastes. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. There was no more breath in her. That that means she was amazed. She was in awe. She was wowed. Verse 6, And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of what was told me. Your wisdom and your prosperity surpassed the report that I have heard. Now look at verse 23 and 24. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his, him presents, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses and mules. So much year by year. Wouldn't it be great to sit at the feet of this man who everybody was going to see because of his wisdom? That's our opportunity today as we study this passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We've been studying Ecclesiastes for the past month. We finished chapter 4 last week. We have to remember the conclusion of this book in order to, to understand it rightly. And what's the conclusion? What was Solomon's conclusion at the end of the book? Do you remember... He said, we must fear God and obey His commands for judgment's coming. So as we read this, sometimes we get the impression that Solomon had no faith. And he was a, he was a cynic or he was a pessimist. But that's not true. He's a man of faith. He says his conclusion, fear God and keep His commandments. And so as we study, we have to keep that in mind. But Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, he's on a quest to find purpose in life under the sun. In chapter 1 and 2, he's testing everything that people look to for meaning in life. He's tested new things. He's tested wisdom. He's tested pleasure. He's tested uh, building a legacy for himself. And what was his conclusion? There's no satisfaction apart from God. It doesn't satisfy. He says vanity. It's, it's vanity. And, and we said, as you hear that word, and we'll hear it again today, it means it doesn't satisfy. So that's Solomon's conclusion. And in chapter 3 through 6, he shares some observation that he's gleaned during the course of his search. Some things we've, he's observed already, we've already studied, is that we're ruled by time. We don't control the season of life, nor can we prevent them from happening. Saw an old friend this morning, hadn't seen in 15, 20 years. The last time I saw him and he saw me, we didn't have so much gray hair. You know what? I can't do anything about that. Yeah, we, we can't. We're ruled by time, right? We can't control the season of life. But we also Solomon also observed that although time rules over us, God reigns supreme over time. Chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He makes, he, he makes everything beautiful in its time. God is using all of the experiences we have Everything that happens in our life, he is using for our good and for his glory. He's sovereign over all those things. He rules over time. He has a purpose that he is bringing about. And he's purpose that even the emptiness that we feel, the longing that we feel for more, he uses that in, in sinners' lives, doesn't he, to bring us to repentance. Solomon also observes that we should find balance in work and rest. We talk about how some people are prone towards Working too much, right, Grant? And then some people are are kind of leaning more towards kind of being lazy, right? Yeah, they don't really want to work. In fact, today we have a a large population that don't want to work in our country. So there's a balance in it. Yeah, there's a balance in life. Find balance in work and in rest. He also observes that we should pursue relationships, right? We should avoid seclusion. We can't. We can't follow Jesus alone. We need each other. I need you and you need me. We should pursue relationships. So let's continue learning from Solomon as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. There's three things I want to point out to you. The first thing, looking at verses 1-7 through is, Solomon says, Don't be too casual with God. Don't be too casual with God. He says, Chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. I, I once was at a doctor's office and began to talk about the things of God with the nurse. And she said, You know, I'm a believer too. And she, and she told me that she, where she worshiped. And she, and I said, do you, do you love the Lord? She goes, Oh, yeah, man. I love Jesus. She said, Man. He, he's my buddy. And I said, he's your buddy? He said, yeah, he's, he's my buddy. He goes everywhere with me. And I thought, well, I understood what she was saying. And, it, and the Scripture does tell us that Jesus is our friend, right? Yeah. He was a friend of sinners, right? And we're sinners, right? And if we repent and believe, then yes, in, in, in some respects, we, we, we do become his friend. But it just took me as, man, that was a little bit too casual for me. It made me a little bit uncomfortable. Say, yeah, Jesus, He's he's just my buddy, right? He's just my my buddy. He's he's more than just a casual friend, right? He's holy and He's righteous. He's the judge, right? He's the great judge that we'll sit before one day. And Solomon says, guard your your steps as you go to worship. Why? Because God, He's holy and He's righteous and he's, He's just, So we don't go to worship just flippantly. And we don't treat God too casually. Why? And he concludes this section in verse 7 and he tells us that we should fear God. Think about that. If you you were going to meet the governor of the state of Tennessee, how would you treat the governor? Never met the governor before. The first time meeting the governor, you're going to have an opportunity to talk to him. You know, you, you would... How would you treat him? You wouldn't just come there like maybe we did this morning and slap each other on the man. What's up? How you doing? Doing alright? Have a good week? I don't know if we would do that. We wouldn't do that, would we? If we're seeing the governor or we're meeting the president or someone like that with position. No, we would converse with them in a way that honors their position. And we should do so with God as well. Look at verse 2. God is in heaven, isn't He? He says, Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. See, God's in heaven. He's the creator God, isn't he? He used his very own words and spoke this world into existence. And who are we? We're mortal, aren't we? We're finite, but yet God is infinite. We need to keep the proper perspective. We need to keep the proper perspective. In fact, think about this: How many of us we want to write to God? We want to bright to Him about things. We want to maybe whine a little bit. In fact, sometimes we just kind of we want to go into lecture mode, don't we? And we want to tell God what what He's doing. is isn't right. People say, "Well, you know, I won't. I don't go to church anymore." And I ask people. Tell me that you know, being a preacher, um, they, they'll tell me that I, I don't go to church anymore. Oh, well, why is that? Well, God let my mama die. So your mama was hundred and one. I mean, come on. What do you want? What do you want God to do? My child got sick. I lost my job. My husband left me with two kids. My wife left me. Solomon tells us we need to, we don't need to treat God too casually. We don't need to gripe with God. Because he's in heaven, he's a sovereign creator ruling over all things. And we are just mere men, sinful and imperfect. Job, he was taught a lesson, wasn't he? You remember Job? He lost everything he had, right? His children, his fortune. He wanted to pout a little bit. He wanted to tell God that God wasn't doing things rightly. He wasn't holding up his end of the bargain. And then we see in the end of Job, Chapter 38 through 40, I'm going to read a couple couple verses for you. Then God, you know what God does? Well, God questions him. He gives him about 70 some odd questions. He said, I will question you, and you make it known to me, since you know how things should go. Let's talk about this for a second. I'll ask you a few questions, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I created this thing we call earth. Where were you when it was created? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and called the dawn to know its place? I make the sun come up every morning. Who are you? Where's the way to the dwelling of light and so where's the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the past to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great, right? God being a little cynical with Job. You cause the dew to fall, the ice to come, the frost to come. What about the constellations? Did you set them in place? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Do you feed the lions? Who feeds the lions? Job, I feed the lions. Who are you talking to with your complaints? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth, do you observe the calving of the doves? Who, who calls all that to happen, Job? God says, I, I do. I calls out all that to happen. Who are you to question me? Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Who has first given to me, Job, that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole earth, under whole heaven, is mine. And what was Job? Do you remember Job's response in chapter 42? He says, verse 6, Job says, I despise myself and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. God put Job in his place and maybe he needs to put us in our place sometimes. We can't be too casual with God. He's not just our buddy. He's our Lord and Savior. Who sovereignly rules over every thing that happens, every good thing and every bad thing, using all for His glory and our betterment? Let's look at verse three here. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Verse four: When you vow, vow to God; do not delay pain, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. Don't make false commitments to God. Don't barter with God. Don't make deals with God. If you say you're going to do something, then let's do it. I think of marriage and how we perform many many wedding ceremonies. I'm batting about 500 on this wedding deal. About 50% of my people that I marry leave, one of them will leave a spouse. Uh, Breaks my heart. Think about that as marriage. What are we doing? Where we say I I'm pledge my life to this woman that You've given me. Commit to leading this woman, discipling this woman, till death do us part. I'm committing God to be faithful to this man that You've given me and to be His helpmate forever and ever till death do us part. I think about that. I was reading this. Text, because we're making a vow. In marriage, we make a vow to this person, right? To our spouse. But we also, we're making a vow before God. Lord, be merciful to us. Be merciful to us. <clears throat> it is better that you should not vow that, than that you should vow and not pay it, verse 5. Verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger, maybe that messenger most likely being a Levitical priest who when you say, I'm going to give this to God when He comes to collect, but when He comes and collect, sometimes what happens? We say, oh, that was a mistake. I didn't really mean that, right? Yeah, sometimes we treat God too casually with the things we say. God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for You. But yet we don't keep our end of the bargain. And we complain and we don't like the way... God runs the universe, and how He is sovereignly leading our lives and governing our lives—we don't really like that, and so we like to complain. And David Allen Hubbard, he wrote a book called *Beyond Futility*. He says, "Better to bribe a judge than to ply God with hollow words. Better to slap a policeman than to seek God's influence by meaningless gestures." Better to perjure yourself in court than to harry God with promises you cannot keep. The full adorations of our spirit, the true obedience of our heart, these are His demands and His delights. Solomon says to fear God, don't be too casual with Him. The holy, righteous, sovereign Lord. And we see elsewhere in the Psalms, Psalm 89, I'll read to you verse 6 and 7. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Solomon says here in this text don't, don't treat God casually. Fear God, respect Him. And for goodness' sake, don't lecture God. Trust His sovereignty and fear Him. What else does Solomon observe? The second thing I think we can we, observe is that money mad people are not satisfied. Look at verse 8 through verse 17. I need a little... I, need, I wish I had a joke right here, Josh. I would tell it mood a little bit. That was a little heavy, wasn't it? Money man people aren't satisfied. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. The high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land... And in every way, a king committed to cultivating fields. Money-man people aren't satisfied. Um, prosperity is, is really overrated. Some say it's a curse. I know some of you are saying, Curse me, God. Curse me. Uh, but here in verse 8 and 9... Uh, Sometimes with an abundance of money comes a, a greater degree of authority and power. We see that all over the world. I've seen it in other countries. We see it here in our country as well, in America. Those who have money oftentimes have power, right? And this sometimes leads these wealthy, powerful people to use this authority to their advantage, right? Yeah, I mean, why is that? It's because they're sinful, right? And what they have is, 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 is a little, but they want more, and so they use their authority to get more, right? And we see this. We see this in our country. We see it in Washington, Um and it doesn't always happen. It doesn't mean that all people who are wealthy do this. That's what I'm saying. But sometimes we see it happening. What is what is Solomon says He says, "Don't be surprised." In fact, in, in governments where the, the people have uh, less say, so the corruption is usually more severe. Take China for instance. That's the way it is there. There's more corruption there, because there's you got fewer people with all the control. And what do they do? They use the, their power and control to get more for them, right? Yeah. To the neglect of the people they're supposed to, deal with to be able to be serving. Don't be surprised when the wealthy use their authority to gain more wealth for themselves. Why should we not be surprised? Right? Because riches don't satisfy. Because when somebody has some, what do they want? More. That's right. Yeah, verse 9. This is a difficult verse here. But you know, Even the king is fed by the land, right? They're folks just like us, right? They have a God who's providentially watching over them. So one thing that we we talked about last week is injustice. God is the the one who makes all things right. No injustice goes unsettled. God is just, right? Of course, those who have the the, the power, they, they have the authority, they should use that to help the masses. They should use it compassionately, not oppressively. And we see that too, don't we? Yeah, we see people who have authority and power using their authority to to help many people. We see that all the time. But don't be surprised, Solomon says, when the wealthy use their authority to gain more wealth for themselves. Yeah. It It doesn't satisfy. Look at verse 10. Riches don't satisfy. It's vanity, right? Philip Graham Reichen he titled this section of his commentary on Ecclesiastes Satisfaction Sold Separately. That's a title for a sermon. I thought it was kind of quite creative. How many of you, how many of us are actually satisfied with how much money we make? And I'm looking at and seeing your faces and some of you, you work for others, uh, construction workers, bankers, uh, postmen, exterminators. I see all different kinds of people here, truck drivers. And some of you have your own business. How many of you can, would actually say, you know what, I think I get paid enough. Can you mind? like yeah, I think man, I make plenty. I make plenty. There's one. Thank you, brother. There's one. You know, but most people say, you know what? I think I need to get a raise. I work hard. I think I need more money. And if you don't need it, you're like, you know, I don't really, I, I don't. Maybe I don't deserve, it, but I sure do want. Right? Jesse O'Neill, she she writes a book called The Golden Ghetto: The Psychology of Affluence. She says people have a... It's a spiritual problem. She said that the problem is called affluenza. It's a desire for affluence. And it drives many people to to be preoccupied with obtaining stuff, right? Making more money. It's an unhealthy pursuit of money. Affluenza. I kind of like that. Yeah, but money doesn't satisfy Look at verse 11. And when someone does make a lot of money, what happens? There's... Other people that come and they want a piece of the pie, right? You make more money, more wealth, when the IRS wants more as well, don't they? And then you have maybe even these parasitic type folks who want their piece of pie. And I had, I had a, a guy I know. He was, doing, he was going to work for some family members of mine, and the family members of mine, they, they do pretty well financially. And he knew this, and he, he goes and he, he tells me, he says, You know, I'm going to go do some work, and he's going to give them a bid for this work. He says, You know, I want to get some of that money. I want to get some of that big money they make. He didn't get the job. (laughs) But that's how it works. Lawyers and accountants and the IRS, the more you bring in, the more you pay out, right? Yeah, so it, it, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. Look at verse 12, because with wealth and riches comes stress and worry and responsibility, right? The more you have to keep up with, right? They're directly proportional. More money, more responsibility. More money, more stress. How many of you have dreamed of owning your own business only to open it and then long for the day that you could punch a clock? <laughs> and some of you, right now, you have your business owners, and you're like, I'm right there now, brother. I'm right there now. If I could just punch a clock, and work 40 hours a week, go home, I'd sleep a lot better at night. Yeah. The ghettos are filled with heavy sleepers. You know where the insomniacs live? In the suburbs, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, the insomniacs live in, in the suburbs. Charles Swindoll, he says, more money, more people, more people, more worries, more worries, less sleep. I, I was, I just, I tried to. It was funny when my wife and I were in China. I just kind of got plugged into work in East Asia. And I didn't, even, I didn't even think much about what's going on in the West. And some of my buddies, they would keep up with And I would just say, okay, we would have our accountability time every week. I'd say, okay, what's going on in the world? And so they would give me five minutes. This is what's going on in the world. They just kind of kept me up. And I just didn't pay attention to it. But here, now that I'm back in America, I'm, all right, I need to keep up with news and, and current events and what's going on in the culture. And so this week I saw there was a... Um, one of the headlines, and I don't know why this is a headline, but it was a headline where this uh, drug lord in in, in, in Mexico, his uh, one of the drug lords, these wealthy drug lords, their, uh, their son was abducted. I know, that's horrible. And I thought, well, why is that a in the news? But it made me think, you know, poor kids don't get kidnapped for ransom. They don't. Yeah, who's gonna kidnap the poor with a poor kid person for ransom? Yeah, it doesn't. Look at verse 13. Sometimes riches just actually harm some people, right? It turns them inward. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his what? Hurt, right? Yeah, it actually hurts people. Verse 14. And others are wealthy, but lose their wealth quickly, right? Maybe due to bad investments or maybe to no fault of their own, right? But it happens. People lose their wealth. They lose their savings. They lose their money. They lose their property. I mean, think about it for all you bankers that are here today. Where can you put your money that it's guaranteed? What an outblast, right? Invest well. And we should invest well. Solomon's not saying money's bad. Don't invest. No, invest well. But don't trust Him. Don't put too much trust in your wealth. Verse 15-17 through Why does money not satisfy? Because it's temporal. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This This also is a grievous evil. Just as it came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all these days he eats in darkness and much much vexation and sickness and anger. Oftentimes, people think having wealth and possessions that would give them a good, happy life, but that's not always the case, is it? Philip Reiken. He quotes Derek Kidner, who's a commentator. He says, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness it leaves. Money just doesn't satisfy. Because we just want more and more and more. It brings out the worst in people, right? So the wealthy use it, use their wealth, right? their power for their own good. The more money, the more people want a piece of it, right? The more you make, the more you pay out. The more money, the more trouble. Again, poor people don't lay awake at night fretting over their investments. And it's temporal, right? Some lose their fortunes. But if we don't lose our fortunes, all of us will die, right? We'll lose our fortunes eventually. Either now or later. It's just temporary. So what have what we, what we looked at so far? What have we learned so far? Don't treat God with disrespect. We should fear God. We should fear Him. Don't lecture them. Don't barter with them. He is sovereignly in control of your life. And also, keep your word. That's the way you you fear the Lord. Keep your vows. Do what you say you're going to do. And secondly, money mad people, they're just not satisfied. Thirdly, I think we should all make a dollar. We should work. Yeah, we should work. Of course, we should. We have to. We must. If you're not working, you're the head of your household. If you're a man, you're able-bodied. you're not retired, work. Right? Take care of your family. And thirdly, enjoy life as you keep God as your priority. Look at verse 18. Verse 20. We're going to close up. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him for it. This is his life. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his life and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Solomon making these observations. Again, we've seen this before. He doesn't say it's wrong to have money. He just says it's wrong to spend all your energy making money and not to enjoy it, right? Tommy Nelson, a pastor that I like to... To sit under, he says you need to run out of money and air at the same time. (laughs) Because you can't take it with you. And you know what? It does take a lot of money to enjoy life. Some people think, man, I gotta make more money, more money, more money to enjoy life. But it really doesn't. Twix candy bar fifty cents. Nah, you don't need it, brother. Don't, you don't need it. Uh, but think about this, what, what life, this little God's grace, it doesn't take a lot of money to, to really enjoy life. It just takes the right perspective. And what is that? What's the right Everything above hell is a privilege. Do you know that? Everything above hell is a privilege. Everything above hell is a privilege. You got up this morning... Some of you ate breakfast, you had a good cup of coffee. Some of you listened to music. All God's graces, right. Privilege, that's grace. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see the the New Testament, right? Teaching the same things that Solomon is observing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Enjoy our wealth. Enjoy the good gifts we've been given. This can only happen when we kind of, when we just forsake the pursuit of possessions, right? And have a proper perspective. Is your perspective right this morning? We all have gifts. Our jobs, our relationships. We're about to leave and you're going to go eat some good food. Enjoy that food. Enjoy it. Laughter and... Wow health. We're here today because we're healthy enough to do it. Somebody had surgery this week and you recovered and you back in church. That's, that's grace. So honor Him. Enjoy the gifts and the giver. The, the idea that it's kind of green on the other side, it's true isn't it? Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's not. And sometimes we have to quit looking across the fence I think. Sometimes we have to seek contentment of what we have and enjoy it. You say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. You're right. But I think He tells us that we can enjoy life just by hardships. Verse 20, For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. We're getting older. Life's getting harder. Our culture is moving in a direction that doesn't please the Lord. You and I, we're going we're gonna to find lumps in our breasts. And we're going to get a bad diagnosis. We're going to come home one day and my spouse maybe won't be there. Maybe some of us will have to bury a child. Life is uncertain. But we can, despite the uncertainty, we can enjoy life. And that's what Solomon tells us to do just by way of application. Enjoy what God's given you. His grace is our plan when you have the proper perspective. Everything above hell is a privilege. Are you enjoying... God's graces to you. And maybe you're here and you think, I, I really don't enjoy life. And maybe because you don't have the proper perspective. God's never opened your eyes, your spiritual eyes to see your sin, that you're depraved, that you are wicked, that you are rebellious against God. The Bible says that we all are at enmity with God. That means we are acting like His enemies. We're doing what we want to do and of what God wants to do. That means we're a sinner. And the Bible says that the payment for sin is death which means separation from God. Our our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. And not only is it broken now, but when we die, it will be broken for all eternity. And God will pour out His wrath upon us for all eternity. And that's what we deserve because we are sinners. And that's the bad news. But that's truth and that's biblical. That's what we all deserve. But the Bible says, because God is gracious, He sent Jesus to become a man. He took on flesh. And he completely, perfectly obeyed the law of God. And when he was about 33 years old, he gave up his life. Not because he deserved it. We deserved it. But he gave up his life and he took the punishment that you and I deserve. He was buried in a grave. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. And the good news is that God wants you you sinner to trust Jesus. He wants you to repent. He wants you to trust Jesus' work on the cross as your own. The Bible says return from your sin and trust. And then, and only then, can you really enjoy life. Because no matter what you're going through, and whether you're going through it now, it's right around the corner. Sickness, death, Heartache, difficulties, they're coming. But even in those moments, we can enjoy God's graces. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.